If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is Paul Larson, a certified executive coach and engaging leadership consultant and speaker. As a former C-level executive, for a $3 billion corporation, Paul has over 30 years of experience creating a leadership legacy at such iconic organizations at, as Adobe Systems, Charles Schwab, United Airlines, and Bristol Myers Squibb. He's the author of the award-winning book, Find Your Voice as a Leader, published by no other than Aviva Publishing. Yay! As a member of the respected Forbes Coaches Council, Paul's partners with successful leaders who find their unique leadership voice and use it to create purposeful and positive outcomes for themselves and their teams. He's a super dear friend, a National Speaker Association colleague, And together in our spare time, we both serve on the board of the amazing foundation, Together We Can Change the World, which helps women and children in Southeast Asia. Paul, what a thrill it is to welcome you back to the show. And thank you for agreeing to come back to be a guest expert and mentor. Susan, Susan, Susan. I mean, it's such an honor to be back on the show. And I must say, when I listen to that introduction and I hear expert and I hear marketing mentor and I hear those things, it's like, who is she talking about? Is that really me? (laughs) But we're going to be talking about that, I know, but it's beautiful to be here. That's a great segue, Paul, into the fact that I know that your most recent focus is overcoming the imposter syndrome. So let's talk about that and how it manifests itself, especially for us as authors, speakers, coaches, entrepreneurs, et cetera. Go for it. Absolutely. So as a human and going through my life and then in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, really delving into what makes us leaders in life, i.e. in our business world in whatever sort of discipline we're in, whatever organization, whatever community, including our family and friends, it's become very apparent to me that a lot of people really deal with a feeling of being a fake or a fraud in whatever role they might find themselves in. And I had this experience myself. I had this experience back in 2004. I became head of HR at a $3 billion company. And I use the term, or I use that, the worth of $3 billion, it doesn't matter if it was $3 billion or $300. The fact that I was head of HR at any 
organization brought up feelings of, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm actually sort of like figuring things out as I go along. I feel like a fraud. And one day, somebody's going to come up and tap me on the shoulder and say, Paul, we know you really don't know what you're doing here. We're going to ask you to leave now. And as ludicrous as these feelings are, the irony in that was that as head of HR, the group that would actually come and ask me to leave would be HR, which was the group that I was actually leading. So the irony of that whole scenario is really what brought imposter syndrome home to me. And it was a mentor of mine that said, do you feel like an imposter? And I looked at her with sort of a breath of fresh air in my eyes, mind you. And I said, yes. And she says, oh, that's imposter syndrome. And then I realized what it was. This was 2004, Susan. And fast forward to 2019, imposter syndrome has been around since it's been coined since 1978. And it shows up, I think, even more in our society and is more prevalent today because we are more aware of it, but because we are so connected or we think we are so connected on social media, which can also foster a feeling of, am I doing enough? Do I know what I'm doing? Am I a fake? Am I a fraud? That's how it ties into what I do in terms of my coaching, my facilitation around finding your voice. It's really finding your voice and overcoming that imposter or that fake voice in your head. It's really interesting that you should say that. But there's one thing feeling it, but there's another thing admitting to it. And I would think that it would take a lot of courage to even say to somebody or like you did say, yes, that's exactly, I do feel like a fraud or I do feel like an imposter admitting this to others. I mean, is that something that we want to advertise? I wouldn't think so. (laughs) (laughs) It's like walking down your main street in town with a big sandwich board saying, I'm an imposter. It's like advertising yourself as a fake or as a fraud. But you nailed it right there, Susan, by saying that is actually the first step in really overcoming or at least living with imposter syndrome. And that is being aware that it is something that you have, being aware that it is a feeling that you are experiencing. So self-awareness is that first step in really sort of overcoming, or as I sometimes like to say, integrating imposter syndrome, because we spend a lot of time in our lives trying to overcome things overcome this, overcome that, as if life is always full of challenges that we have to overcome to be successful. As a coach, I like to look at things a little bit differently and try to say, it's not always overcoming. It's really sort of integrating or blending whatever we're experiencing in our lives into who we are, kind of the mosaic of our DNA. The first step in that piece around imposter syndrome is to really be aware that it is something that many successful people experience. In fact, one of the latest statistics out there is that up to 75% 
of successful leaders and entrepreneurs across the globe have admitted to experiencing imposter syndrome at some point in their life or at some point in their career. And we've heard it from the late author Maya Angelou, where she has actually said that that the point where she wrote 11 or 13 books, that one of these days she's going to be found out that she really doesn't know what she's doing when she's writing these incredible journeys of authorship that she's done. Tom Hanks, obviously, to Tom Hanks is a beloved actor, Academy Award winning actor. He's admitting to having imposter syndrome. Starbucks founder, Howard Schultz, who's incredibly successful in bringing coffee to the masses. Another person who admits having imposter syndrome. The list goes on and on. Serena Williams, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, Sonia Sotomayor, all these people. And these are all the celebrities out in the world, quote unquote. Bring it down to my level of just sort of the average person like myself. You can understand where we can all then experience imposter syndrome. So that's the first step is that self-awareness and understanding it is more common than people would like to admit, but it's okay to admit it. It's interesting because I remember way back that I felt this feeling of being a fraud. I didn't realize that this was a syndrome out there. And and I found this book, The Imposter Syndrome, and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you know, there are more people out there. It isn't just me. And there was this feeling of, what a relief. I thought I was this weird person and <laughs> there was something wrong with me. Is there a cure for this, Paul? <laughs> well, that's one of the common myths about imposter syndrome. The fact that it's called a syndrome almost lends itself to thinking that it's a medical condition, thus there's a cure for it. And it's really not a syndrome in the strictest medical terminology. It's really more of a phenomenon that occurs with us. But because it was coined as an imposter syndrome back in, gosh, I think it was like 1978, it has stuck that way. And has kind of like, you know, when we think of syndromes, we think of it's a medical condition, thus there must be a cure for it, or there must be a pill I can take and get over that. And it is much more phenomenon. And as we know phenomenons to be, they ebb and flow. So I would say that there isn't a cure for it, but there are things you can do to mitigate it. And I even think as a coach and as somebody who deals with imposter syndrome myself, there are steps you can take to actually make it work for you, to kind of propel you on. And the first one was what we just talked about was that self-awareness to know that you're in good company, to call it out whenever you feel like a fake or fraud. And whenever that happens with me, Susan, I always say, okay, that's my imposter voice speaking right now, calling that out to be what it is. The second step is also a self-awareness step. Once you call it out, then understand that it's originating from your own DNA. You are the author, to borrow all of our, you know, since this is a wonderful podcast for authors, but you are authoring your imposter syndrome. It's not coming from other sources or other people. And again, this goes into today's environment. We're just fueled by all the social media posts and tweets and snaps and chats and everything else. 
it could be such a competitive and benchmark and comparative world that it's easy to feel that we are not measuring up in whatever role we're in. Could be a leader, manager, parent, teacher, student, whatever it might be, friend. So it becomes like we begin this self-doubt. And just having self-doubt doesn't mean you have imposter syndrome. It's when the self-doubt permeates into feeling like a fake or fraud, that we are sort of an, an imposter. But again, understanding that you are the author of it. It's coming from your DNA, so you can author the ending to it. That's the first two steps around overcoming imposter syndrome. And then the next two steps is really sort of more a little bit of an action, two action steps. And that is really as a coach, and what I do is connect to your past accomplishments. What got you here? What have you been recognized for? Your past triumphs, your past learnings, your legacy. Sometimes you write out that story or you visualize what that story is. What has gotten you to this place, this time? It's not luck. It's not fate. You know, it's deliberate steps that you've taken, deliberate decisions you have made in your life that have gotten you into this role today. When we say, oh, it's just by luck I'm here, or it's just fate, that's actually adding to the imposter syndrome because that's saying you had no role in it, when in fact, that is so not true. You had every role in it. The deliberate steps you take, the deliberate judgments you make, the deliberate decisions you make that got you into this role today, your recognitions, your accomplishments, your achievements. And then the last step is really connect to that future vision. You know, it's kind of pre-paving your vision for the future. What's the purpose? What are your goals? What's your outcomes? What's your potential? What is that future vision of yourself? How do you want that to play out? What does success look like, feel like? Write all of that down or draw all of it down if you have the creative gene, right? But don't just let it happen. When we go through life and just react, imposter syndrome loves that because then we just find ourselves in the reaction islands. And then we just react to things and imposter syndrome can pop up and say, see, you had no say in this. You're just reacting to the environment. But when we can really prepave our vision and really map out our vision and connect it to our past accomplishments, we are then saying, I am the author of what will happen. That's what helps dilute imposter syndrome. It doesn't go away completely. I'm a testimonial to that. There will be times when it will be triggered, but again, calling it out, recognizing the accomplishments you've had in the past, and then prepaving and creating that vision for the future, that will make imposter syndrome actually work for you versus against you. I love that word, diluting it. <laughs> I just see that you know, sort of it just in water. It's just sort of getting thinner and thinner and thinner. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You're absolutely right. The visual of the water, right? And then just diluting it in water and watering it down, watering it down. Flow away. Exactly. So one thing that comes to mind, Paul, is um, trying not to be sexist here, but does this affect both sexes in the same way? Because I would have thought that it affects women differently to men, but here you are as a man talking about it. You know, address that. What about the sort of sex side of it, the male-female 
or the gender side, let's put it Ab- that way. Absolutely. That's an interesting correlation to bring up. You know, according to what I've read and according to the studies, both in the past and current, when imposter syndrome was first identified, again, back in the late 70s, it was suggested that it was more prevalent in women. And again, think about the times, right? Back in the late 70s, it was probably much more, you know, from a gender identification, it was maybe in in those times easier even to correlate it to women. But I would say subsequent research and certainly current studies shows that it affects both men and women equally. There could be a correlation also to say that women might have, I don't want to say easier, but they might be able to admit it in a different way or get to that self-awareness step faster because they can get out of their head and bring in the heart, so to speak, because obviously men and women were wired differently. And so that could also bring in the fact that, oh, well, women have this more because they actually admit it more, but it actually does sit in men just as much. Nowadays, men can actually probably or have demonstrated that they do admit it, I have found in my coaching practice, I coach both men and women probably equally when I look at my coaching clients and I I work with leaders across organizations, both teams and individuals, and I would say it runs equally both in my coaching clients with men and women that have experienced it and that admit it in terms of that. Some people will admit it publicly, like I mentioned the names before, and some may not. But it does affect both men and women. Apparently now, even in 2019, as we talk about this into next year, fairly equally. That's so interesting. And what goes through my mind, too, is the fact that if somebody talks about it in an organization, are they putting themselves in a very sort of sticky situation if it comes to, let's say, a promotion or something like that, that if a boss finds out that you feel this way, they might hold it against you. Anything in an organization is a possibility. Having worked, gosh, 30 plus years in the corporate world in a variety of roles, I have seen it all. I have probably done it all. I have shaken my head multiple times across, you know, disbelief about what you can see, what you can hear, what you can experience. So absolutely that could occur. I think what's happening now, though, I wouldn't even say this maybe even five, six years ago, but we are making much more progress with organizations becoming much more self-aware. And because imposter syndrome is actually making much more of an occurrence in the mainstream, you hear more about it, you read more about it. The more people that stand up and talk about it, even the celebrities that when they win an award or the athletes, when they win a contest and they talk about imposter syndrome, we're much more mindful of it. So then organizations can say, you know what? This can get in the way of how we develop our leaders. This can get in the way of the potential of our folks and our teams. So let's call it for what it is. Let's bring in that self-awareness and then let's help dilute it. Now, Does that mean there aren't organizations where people would look at this and say, oh, this is somebody who's weak? Or traditionally in the past, there's also been terms that this is just a woman thing. It was something that women dealt with in terms of imposter syndrome. And again, that goes back to kind of how it started. Are there organizations potentially still like that? 
sure. But what's happening across the board with organizations is one of the key hallmarks of a leader of abundance, which is what we want to be. We want to, you know, Brene Brown talks about being an abundant leader and really owning your vulnerability and practicing emotional intelligence. That's what this does. By talking about imposter syndrome, by talking about the fake or fraud voice we might have in our heads, helps not just yourself, but your team, your organization, and your community. But if you're in a culture that may not recognize that, or you work within a culture that may demonstrate the opposite of that, certainly it could have a stick to your point of stickiness or even a detrimental effect. And that would be something that you would have to choose. And then the bigger choice, though, is why would you work in a culture like that? And of course, I know we can't always choose that ultimately, but you really need to look at the places where you can do your best work. Have you found that there's any kind of correlation between perfectionism and the imposter syndrome or feeling like a fraud? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the whole perfectionism piece can certainly play out that the need to have all your T's crossed, the need to have all your I's dotted before you complete whatever you are working on, whether that be a project, whether that be standing up and speaking, whether that be your book. So my book came out in 2016, but I had been writing it for quite a while before that. And it was definitely imposter syndrome that played a role in that. And that perfectionism to say, you know what? I don't think I have the period right here. I don't think I'm using the right word here. I don't think this sentence conveys everything I want to say. It's that sense of having everything be perfect. Well, you have to release that burden. When I coach folks, including myself, you have to understand you have to release that burden because life is not perfect. And the fact is, it's sometimes our imperfections that bring up the brilliance of who we are, that send a message to the world that even in our imperfections, we can be magical. We can have a message that people want to hear. And working through that imposter syndrome, the perfectionist in us can actually try to hinder us from getting to what we want. And I think as an author, I mean, Susan, even after my book was published, and I published it, as you know, I published it in the ebook format, and then I came out with a wonderful paperback, and it won an award, and it's gotten wonderful reviews, and it's gotten accolades. It still took me a while to really own the fact that I was an author. Yes, I had written a book, but I hadn't owned that author title or that author brand because I still felt like an imposter in that domain. So it took me the steps to go through that self-awareness and then going through sort of the recognition piece and what I talked about earlier to really get through the fact that, Paul, you're an author. You own that. You're not an imposter. You're not a fake author. You're not a fraud author. You are an author. And I think that's what can prevent authors from getting their work out. Because if you think about it, there is nothing more vulnerable then taking something that you create, that you write, and putting it out into the public domain for other people to read, to assess, to provide feedback, 
right there, you're opening yourself up to a big glass full of imposter syndrome. And then you need to know how to dilute that to your point. It's so scary. And yes, I think a lot of authors do hold themselves back. As you rightly said, like it happened to you, it's happened to me. I mean, I love deadlines for that reason, because otherwise, if I don't have a deadline, you know, the sky's the limit. I can go on forever. So deadlines for me are perfect. But it's funny when you say you didn't sort of acknowledge the fact that you were an author once you, you know, really were an author. And and I had the same thing happen. I mean, I'd written, I don't know, 15 books and I'd never called myself an author. And then somebody said, you're an author. And I was like, oh, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) And that's 15 books. I mean, (laughs) exactly. And so there is that disconnect from what we sometimes we actually do to the role that we play. And that's where it's that disconnect that is where imposter syndrome can actually permeate and can actually get a hold of us. And again, it's not about getting rid of it. It's about diluting it and calling it out for what it is. How about misconceptions? And are there misconceptions when it comes to the imposter syndrome? Well, the misconceptions around it is that it's because it's called a syndrome, right? And as we talked about earlier, that it's curable. And it's not about curing it. It's about understanding what it is, what triggers it in you as an individual, what are the times that it's triggered, and then how do you go about sort of integrating it or diluting it. So that's one of the misconceptions. Another misconception is that there is a piece where if you experience any type of self-doubt, that means you have imposter syndrome. That's a misconception. Self-doubt happens all the time. We have self-doubt many times throughout the day, potentially, whenever we're going to try something new or we find ourselves stepping out of our comfort zone or whatever it might be, we have self-doubt. That doesn't mean you have imposter syndrome. It doesn't mean you feel like an imposter. Self-doubt is one of the components of imposter syndrome, but just because you're experiencing self-doubt doesn't mean you have imposter syndrome. It's when that self-doubt grows and grows and grows And then you take on this feeling of a fake or a fraud when you are actually sort of in the role that you're in, whatever it might be, and you're really feeling like you have a mask on, that you have a costume on, that you are fake or that you are a fraud, and that you're going to be found out. And so just having self-doubt doesn't mean you have imposter syndrome. It's when it kind of manifests into this feeling like a fraud and so forth. So those are some of the misconceptions around imposter syndrome. And it really just, it's really about, again, I go back to because I'm a coach and work a lot with folks and work a lot with myself actually too. It really is that self-awareness to kind of just call it what it is and not get hung up on it either. Not let the perfectionist kind of come into play and like figure out, okay, what do I need to do now? And how do I figure this all out? Just call it what it is understand it, do a couple of steps around recognizing your past, recognizing what you want to do in the future, and then moving on. It takes all of maybe three to six minutes in which to do that, and then you just kind of move on, and it's quite easy to do. Fall in love with being an imposter. <laughs> Own your mask. <laughs> 
It's a great segue, Paul, into telling our listeners how they might find out more about you, your services, and how they can learn to dilute their imposter syndrome. Oh, I love that. I'm going to hashtag that dilute imposter syndrome. I, you know, I see myself in, in a workshop working with leaders on imposter syndrome with a glass of water and having them dilute it, right? I love that. Yes. So you can find me, as I mentioned, I'm a coach. I work with individuals. I work with group coaching or what we call coaching circles, where I work with teams as well. I do facilitation of workshops. So I have a quite an array of, of different types of portfolio of services I provide. You can find me at my website, Paul N, as in Neil Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N.com. You can find me on Twitter at Voice as a Leader. I'm on LinkedIn under Paul N. Larson. And you can certainly just shoot me an email and just do you want to talk about imposter syndrome. I'm always happy to converse. I'm at Paul at PaulNLarson.com. And you can go on my website and sign up for my newsletter. I do that about you know once or twice a month. I promise not to spam a lot. And I do a lot of things on imposter syndrome and sort of the best practices around it as well as how to find your voice as a leader and how to really kind of create your legacy that you want to create in your life. So I'm usually all around on the online community. So hopefully folks can find me. Yes, you're very visible online. So great. You've been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.